After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net out on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in, because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Let's retrace the sequence of events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. One week before Resurrection Sunday, Jesus crested the Mount of Olives. Then he rode a donkey into the city. A mere five days later, he was crucified. Then on Sunday, he arose and met two disciples walking to Emmaus. Seven days later, Jesus appeared to Thomas. A week or two later, he met Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Let's travel through time to the days before and after Jesus' resurrection and relive these events just as they happened in real time. Our scripture this morning is a narrative convergence. What does that mean? Well, on August 21st, 2017, that was the first solar eclipse in the U.S. since 1979. And I was on assignment in Iowa at the time And I thought, oh, it's only a couple hour drive. I want to go see this for myself. So I drove to, I mapped out where the the shadow was going to 
walk and I went to a location in, uh, oh, northwest of St. Louis. And there I watched the eclipse. And it was really quite something. I mean, here's the sun and then you see the moon kind of nibbling out a shadow of it. And then eventually, and this was a full eclipse, and then eventually the moon was completely covering the sun, except you could see the flares around it. It was stunning. (laughs) Everything went dark. It it was the middle of the day or mid-afternoon, and yet there was darkness. I think it was maybe three or four minutes. It wasn't that long. (laughs) Yes, I drove two hours to watch something for three minutes. But I figured, well, I wasn't there for the one in 79. There's not going to be another one till 2024, which is the next one. And I don't know whether I'll be here or not. Who knows? So I'm going to go see this one. An eclipse occurs because the sun and the moon and the earth happen to be all lined up and within the right distance of one another. There are many times that the moon passes between the sun and us, but because we're not close enough, the shadow doesn't actually walk across the earth. They have to be close enough. This account, which was just read to us, is an intersection, it's an alignment of actually four things. And we often miss this, but I want you to see the ways in which what was just read to us actually is the alignment of four different themes that appeared earlier in the timeline of Peter's history with Jesus. And now they're all intersecting in this one passage. After Peter denied the Lord the third time, a rooster crowed and he locked eyes with Jesus And he fled and he wept bitterly. It was like an eclipse. The sun, you couldn't see it. He was shrouded in darkness because he had done the unthinkable. He denied the Lord. What have I done? We have no record of a one-on-one conversation between Jesus and Peter until this moment. It's true that he appeared to a group of which Peter was a part two times, but we cannot say with confidence that Peter and Jesus had this conversation that they did until this moment that's recorded in John 21. So what I want to do is show you four themes There are four ways in which something from the past is intersecting with what happened on the beach a few weeks after the resurrection. So the first theme is a new life purpose. Now Luke 5 verses 1 through 11 tell us about a key decision point that was made by Peter three years earlier. The physical location is actually near, it could even be this very location where Jesus has appeared post-resurrection that this event occurred. If it wasn't this exact place, it was near here. Let's read the passage. Here's what it says. Now it happened, now this is three years before. 
Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This was the moment in which Peter made his once-for-all decision to follow Jesus. And it happened on the shore of Lake Galilee in the same vicinity, if not the same location, as where Jesus has now appeared to them. In this original account, the one from Luke 5, Jesus is uh, doing something that is just totally capturing Peter's attention. Peter is an expert fisherman. He knows how you catch fish. He knows what you have to do to catch fish. And the expert says to Jesus, <laughs> we've been all night. And night is when you catch fish, by the way, in the Sea of Galilee. But okay. Now, Peter was familiar with Jesus. In fact, he had followed him temporarily prior to this, but never all in once for all. And what he discovered was Jesus is more capable than I am of catching fish. And Peter then said, or Jesus then said, I would like you to not be a fish fisher, but a man fisher. And Jesus, and James and John, by the way, went all in. So this post-resurrection appearance at the lake is a return to where it all started. Jesus has actually come back to the place where Peter, as well as James and John, who, by the way, are also here in this moment, here three years later, we find Peter not man-fishing, but fish-fishing. And Jesus is going to renew his call to Peter, which was heard at the very beginning. Follow me. And the culminating point in this incident is Jesus is going to say once again, follow me. Now, if I was Peter, what would be going through my mind is, I'm not worthy to follow you. I am ashamed. I am embarrassed. Jesus says, once again, uses the same language as previous, follow me. 
Did you blow it? Yes. But I am no less interested than I was at the beginning in this very place of making you into a man fisher, a difference maker in the lives of men. Jesus has come back to the same place, come full circle. And he's saying once again, I know what you did, but I still want you to follow me. Will you? The second theme is about loving and keeping. Uh, Jesus spoke plainly at the Last Supper about Peter's and the other disciples' love for him. And he also identifies a very clear connection between their love for him and commandment keeping. Let me show you one passage. It says in John 16, 27, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. Now I realize I'm going to mess with something that is uh, pretty much a, a given in most conservative evangelical Bible teaching circles. There is much made of the movement between phileo and agapao, or phile and agape, uh, in the account at the beach. And there are those who have said that, you know, Peter is saying, I like you. And Jesus is then saying, well, do you even like me? I'm here to tell you that John does not use those two words in that way. In fact, he uses them almost interchangeably. Phileo is not a lesser kind of love than agape. They're both love, real love, strong love. Not one is like and the other is love. Now they do have a little bit of a different emphasis. Agape emphasizes commitment. I am committed to you. And phileo does emphasize connection. We are like family. But one is not stronger than the other. Case in point, the passage I just read you. Jesus is talking to them in the upper room and he says, the father himself loves phileo you. He is committed to you like family because you have loved me. You are committed to me like family and have believed that I came from the Father. Here's Jesus telling Peter, telling the disciples, Father knows and I know you love me like a brother, like family. And God the Father loves you like family too. So when Peter says, now I'm back at the beach after the resurrection, he says, you know that I phileo you. He's simply recounting what Jesus said at supper two or three weeks before. Jesus told him, Father knows that you love me. And Peter is saying, you know that I love you. Jesus is not questioning something that he's already clearly affirmed, but he's giving Peter the opportunity to affirm his trust in what Jesus said. Why? No, that's a great question. Here's the command connection. This is John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Now, Jesus knows that he does. He said so. Peter heard him. Do you love me? Keep my commandments. Why? Because you love me. In other words, he who has my commandments, which means you, you've heard them, you've hung on to them, and keeps them, you actually do them, that's the one who loves me. So what Jesus is doing is saying, affirm again, you love me, because I'm going to give you a command, and those who love me keep my commands. Lovers have and keep his commands. And then Jesus gives him three different commands that are all about what good shepherds do. Here's a summary of what Jesus is doing. I do indeed know you love me. And I'm giving you a threefold command set to hold and to keep because you love me. Three years ago, Jesus called Peter to be a man fisher. Now he's calling him to be a shepherd keeper or a sheep tender. And this call is actually illuminated by what Jesus revealed only two or three weeks before. What did Jesus do on the cross? He did what a good shepherd does. He lays down his life for the sheep. So when Jesus says, shepherd my sheep, what he's saying is, I want you to embrace, if need be, even dying for the sheep. Jesus is saying, despite what you've done, I am renewing my call for you to demonstrate your love for me by promoting the good of my flock, even if it means dying. I know you love me, so I'm not writing you off. You have a life mission to fulfill. Third theme, three words at a fire. <laughs> The meeting at the Sea of Galilee was an early morning meeting by a, quote, charcoal fire after a night of pointless labor. The only other place where that word is used that's translated charcoal fire is found in an account from something that happened two or three weeks earlier. Peter stood near another charcoal fire, same word in John 18, 18, after a long night of wrenching incapacity. And in that meeting, he did what Jesus predicted. Here's what Jesus said would happen. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Later, the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. It's really hard to escape the striking parallel. The opportunity that Jesus is giving to Peter. In the early hours, the wee hours of the morning, by a charcoal fire, you denied me three times. Come here to a charcoal fire and affirm what I know is true, that you love me. And that's what Peter did. The third round of questioning does strike a nerve. You know, he, he was grieved 
when Jesus asked him the third time. The only way I know to account for that is that this is, you know, touching a nerve. Peter is remembering the last time at a fire. He said something three times that hurt. The text doesn't tell us anything more than that the third time caused Peter to be grieved. And interestingly, that is the exact same word that Jesus used in the upper room when he predicted this. This is John 16, 20. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Peter is actually experiencing that right now. He is grieved. Jesus says your grief is going to be turned to joy. There's also something more that's going on here. Uh, Peter doesn't just answer Jesus' question by saying, yep, you know, do you love me? Yep, you betcha, yes, sir, I do. He's learned from this painful experience that Jesus understands his heart better than he does. So now he defers to the Lord and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You saw what was in my heart. I didn't. In this third response, Peter adds, uh, you know all things. He's affirming the omniscience of Jesus and his confidence that Jesus knows his love for the Lord. So in essence, what Jesus is saying here is, yes, you denied me three times by a fire. But I will say it three times by this fire. I have a job for you. Because as you have affirmed, I indeed know you love me. Here's the fourth theme, which is a mission recovery prayer. Jesus did not simply predict what would happen. He prayed for Peter in light of what he knew would happen. And when Jesus prays, his prayers are effective. Here's his prayer. This is from Luke 22. Simon, Simon, behold, see this. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, to just run you through his fingers. That's one of Satan's strategies that he uses. He uses it on us. He's demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Satan was given permission to trip Peter up. Recognize this key. To fall is not to fail. Jesus says, I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. He, he fell. But Jesus says, I'm praying for your faith not to fail. Jesus prayed that Peter would get back up, get back in the game, and embrace his life calling. So when Jesus meets Peter and affirms his mission as a shepherd, he's calling Peter to embrace what Jesus prayed for. Yes, you fell hard, but you can get back up and fulfill your mission. And this is what I prayed for you. Get back up and shepherd my flock as I have. That's my prayer request for you. If I was to summarize these four themes in four statements, they would be this. 
Jesus is saying, fulfill the mission you embraced three years ago on the shore of this very lake. Don't leave it behind, keep going. Number two, do it because you love me, which I have affirmed you do. Do it because I have just reaffirmed your mission three times by this fire, not that other fire. And fourth, embrace your calling as an answer for my prayer for you. Make sense of this, all right. Here's Peter's initial self-assessment. Here's what he said about himself. Uh, Luke 22, verses 33 and 34, he says, but he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Peter was very confident of what was in his heart. I know what's in my heart. He was wrong. Jesus' assessment proved spot on. And this is what Peter has now come to see and has affirmed in his post-resurrection encounter. Jesus sees in me what I don't. And so now, this is the really fun part. Jesus tells Peter, would you like to know what I see? You told me what you think's in your heart. <laughs> I told you, no, and I was proven right. So would you like to see what I see? Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. And when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he'd spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus is telling Peter, I mean, this must have just made him shake. You said you would die for me. And you will. And he did. He died for the Lord. <laughs> uh, tradition tells us that he insisted that he not be crucified, did not deserve to be crucified upright, so he was crucified upside down. But that's not always telling Peter. As he shepherds Jesus' flock, he says, you love me and I know you love me. Do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Shepherd my sheep, tend my flock, feed my flock. You're gonna die doing what love propels you to do, which is keep my command to take care of my sheep. You are actually going to demonstrate that you are a good shepherd who dies to promote the good of the sheep. That's your future, Peter. That's where you're going. So here's my question for you. It's a question for me. What is your God cannot use me point of pain? You know, there are things in my own life that I look back on and I, I say to myself, what were you thinking? <laughs> That was so stupid.
Listen to this. Even a blatant three-time denial cannot sideline a follower of Jesus who will embrace his calling because he loves Jesus. I don't care what your history is. Do you love Jesus? That's all he's asking. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And as you do, I will make your journey into one that finishes well. Right now in this room, something very similar to what happened on the beach is happening. We read about it in the Old Testament. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Right now he is looking in this room for a Peter. For someone who is able to say, I, I have no basis to explain what I did, but I love you. Then Jesus says, I want to strongly support you. Jesus is simply asking every person in this room, do you love me? Then I will make of you and your life something extraordinary. Jesus is prepared to do extraordinary things through you. Your history does not matter. Your heart is what matters. Do what you do because you love him. And he will partner with you to do what defies your history. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are choosing to believe by faith that the eyes of the Lord are moving throughout this room right now. And you want to strongly support those who love you Despite our history, despite what we've done, despite what we're embarrassed of, despite the places where we've blown it, you are looking for those who are capable of saying, I love you. So, Father, I pray that you'd look in each heart. You know what is in each heart. I pray that your people, to a man, woman, child, would have a heart that is saying, I do love you and that you would strongly support them, that you would work through them to accomplish extraordinary things. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our savior, our shepherd, our example, and the one who loves us. Amen.